Welcome to the Vedic Mythology, Music, and Mantras podcast. I'm Ben Collins. This podcast takes an entertaining and informative look at some of the inspiring and humorous stories of India's Vedic tradition, followed by recordings of Vedic and other mantras being chanted by traditional Brahmin priests. Show notes and other materials can be found at puja.net, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T. Thanks for joining us. Hindu mythology, like all mythology, can be maddeningly contradictory. Shiva, for example, is called Nilakanta, the one with the blue throat. You might think that there would be a good story to explain how this all came about, and no, actually there are at least two that I know of, each one completely different from the other. You would not be faulted for thinking, can't they get their story straight? On one hand, you have a point. And on the other, as you study more Vedic mythology and philosophy, you find that it is usually full of contradictions, and that quickly becomes rather bewildering. But if you step back for a moment, uh, you see that life itself, of course, is full of contradictions, and Hindu mythology in particular attempts to embrace them and bring some sense to it. The confusing and contradictory nature of Vedic mythology reflects those same qualities as life itself. And so the unmanifest pure Brahman, hidden, stands in contrast to the diverse creation that we experience through our senses. Shiva, the ascetic god meditating in the mountains, is a contrast to Vishnu who has two wives and who's fully engaged in supporting and protecting the world. And of course, we have our own struggles to balance both material success with spiritual peace and insight. So ultimately, life itself is composed of pairs of opposites, as Krishna tells Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita, and these pairs make up the world we experience, hot and cold, pleasure and pain, light and dark, etc. Of course, we're typically told that the path to enlightenment requires that we forego material pleasures for spiritual enlightenment, but personally, I think it might be more accurate to say that we need to transcend the material world to reach the inner spiritual content that we desire. The term enlightenment at least should mean that we have successfully integrated both the material and spiritual and that they coexist in a balanced harmony. While we tend to think of Vedic spirituality in terms of the wandering ascetic, that is probably more of a colorful and romantic misperception than reality. For example, the Vedic priests in the temples in India are expected to be married and to have families. And so the practical aspect of this spiritual tradition is one of inclusiveness and not necessarily rejection of the world. Of course, the Vedic tradition is full of stories of ascetic spiritual seekers, some of whom retire from the world and some of whom are householders, but who, by virtue of their feats of meditation and long spiritual practices, are able to develop powers or divine insight. And the end result is that they attract the attention of one or another god who comes to see what they want and subsequently grants them some favor or boon. Of course, what makes Vedic mythology so much fun is that these boons that they ask for frequently or even usually backfire one way or another and lead to unexpected consequences and, of course, more good stories. So, last week we talked about Shiva and made a brief reference to his throat being blue. Uh, So he's called Nilakanta, the one with the blue throat, and there are two stories to explain this. First, Shiva plays a prominent role in the story of the churning of the ocean of milk. Uh, Originally, the gods and demons were not immortal, 
and obviously this is not what they wanted, the gods found out that if they churned the ocean of milk, they could refine out of it Amrita, or the nectar of immortality, and they could then become immortal, which obviously gives them something of a strategic advantage in their never-ending battle against the demons. But of course, the gods could not accomplish this alone, so they ended up making a pact with the demons to share the nectar afterwards. Ultimately, they used Mount Mandara as a churn, and used a large divine snake to wrap around it. The gods and the demons pulled alternately on each end of the snakes to churn the milk over and over. And as they churned, a number of items came out, both good and bad, and ultimately Dunvantri emerged holding a kalash, or a pot of Amrita. But there was a huge supply of poison left over after the churning process, and it was so poisonous that the devas were concerned that it would destroy the universe. So Shiva swallowed the poison and held it in his throat, and that turned his throat blue. So he's called Nilakanta, the one with the blue throat. But a tiny drop of the poison fell to the ground, and that little bit of poison was spread among all the poisonous creatures on the earth, where it is passed from generation to generation by snakes, bugs, jellyfish, and the like. And, of course, <clears throat> the churning of the ocean of milk, like everything else in the Vedic tradition, has many layers of meaning, particularly when viewed symbolically. So, from one perspective, the cooperation of the devas and demons to churn the ocean of milk is very much like our experience, where we are seemingly stuck in the material world, getting pulled back and forth by the events of our life. But what ultimately comes out of this process is an experience of spirituality or divinity. And it is interesting to me that Shiva doesn't swallow the poison, he doesn't convert it into something else, and he doesn't spit it out. Instead, he just holds it in suspension in his throat. So it may be that the spiritual lesson is that all the bad that we see and experience should be neither accepted nor rejected, just held in suspension. To finish the story, the demons end up in control of the Amrita, which of course was a disaster as far as the devas were concerned. And they could not, obviously, have the demons become immortal. And so Vishnu assumed the form of Mohini, an incredibly beautiful woman, and went out and flirted with the demons, and ultimately tricked them into giving her the Amrita, and then she ran off with it. Ultimately, of course, the gods shared the Amrita and became immortal. The other story of Shiva's blue throat goes back to the myth that we heard last week uh, where Shiva was destroying the sacrifice of Daksha. And there's an alternative ending where a rishi or saint, and I don't recall whether it was Vishnu or Brahma, but they're wondering how to calm Shiva down from his destructive furor, and they decide that Chandra, the moon, who was so beautiful and calming, would be the one who could do the job and get Shiva to stop destroying everything before he destroyed the universe. So they put the moon in a pot of water and then also gave Shiva a pot of poison and took it to him. Shiva was, of course, pleased with the beauty of Chandra and actually was so pleased that he placed him in his hair. So you always see Shiva with the moon in his hair. And then he also dipped his finger in the pot of poison and touched it to his neck, which of course turned it a dark blue. Now, the Vedas are very vocal about the qualities of Shiva and very poetic as well. In the Atarva Veda, he is seen as the source of manifest creation. 
and spoken of where, and I quote, fire is his head, the sun and moon his eyes, space his ears, the Vedas his speech, the wind his breath, the universe his heart, and from his feet the earth has originated. He is the inner source of all beings. And in the Tirumantiram, a South Indian scripture, he's known as movement within the wind, as sugar within the sugar cane, as ghee within milk, as juice within fruit, as fragrance within flour, and thus does Shiva pervade everything. So now we're going to listen to two Ashtakams, as you'll recall from last week's show. An Ashtakam is an eight-verse hymn which extols a particular form of a deity, in this case Shiva. And each Ashtakam is a little bit over two minutes in length. And first we're going to hear Shiva Ashtakam, which has a very different and a rather lively meter compared to what we usually hear. And I'll follow that with Chandra Shekara Ashtakam, which is for Shiva who wears the moon, Chandra, in his hair. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Ata Shivashtakam Prabhum Brananatham Vibhum Vishwanatham Jagannathanatham Sadananda Bhajam Bhavad Bhavya Bhuteshwaram Bhutanatham Shivam Shankaram Shambhumishanamide Galerundamalam Tanusarpajalam Mahakalakalam Ganeshadipalam Jadajuda Gangotarangair Vishishyam Shivam Shankaram Shambhumishanamide Mudamagaram Bandanam Mandayantam Mahamandalam Vasmabhushadharantam Anadimhyaparam Mahamohamaram Shivam Shankaram Shambhumishanamide Tatadhonivasam Mahatatahasam Mahapapanasam Sadasuprakasam Girisham Ganesham Suresham Mahesham Shivam Shankaram Shambhumishanamide Girindratmajasam Grihitardadeham Girausam Stitam Sarvadasam Nigeham Parabrahma Brahmadivirvandyamanam Shivam Shankaram Shambhumishanamide Kapalam Trishulam Karabhyam Dadhanam Padambojanam Rajakamam Dadhanam Balivardhajanam Suranam Prajanam Shivam Shankaram Shambhumishanamide Sharachandragatram Gunananda Patram Trinetram Pavitram Taneshasyamitram Aparnagalatram Charitram Vichitram Shivam Shankaram Shambhumishanamide Haram Sarpaharam Chitabhu Viharam Bhavam Vedasaram Sadanirvikaram Smashaneva Sandam Anojam Dahantam Shivam Shankaram Shambhumishanamide Bhavam Yaprabhade Narashulabhane Patel Sarvada Bhagavavanurattaha Saputram Sujanam Sumitram Kalatram Vijitrasamasadhyamoksham Prayati Atha Chandrasekharashtakam Ratnasanusharasanam Rajadatrishanganiketanam Sindhinigritapallageshwaramachutananasayakam Shipradagdhapuratrayam Tridivalajairabhivanditam Chandrasekharam Ashtajemamakim Karishyadivayamaha 
ಪಂಚಪಾದಪುಷ್ಪದಗ್ಧಪದಾಂಬುಜಧ್ವಜಶೋಭಿತಂಪಾಲೋಚನಜಾತಪಾವಕದಗ್ಧಮಲ್